Welcome back. I'm Peter St. Ange. This is a weekly roundup of my daily videos on the economy and freedom, where I cut through the BS and lay out what the gaslighting clowns pulled out of their hats this week and what is coming next. As the patriots of Texas square off against the globalist Biden regime, a new poll says that immigration is the top concern of American voters overtaking inflation for the first time since they broke the economy with the pandemic lockdowns. Ironically, given we're coming into the 2024 election, immigration was the very issue that catapulted Donald Trump into the presidency from the very moment he stepped off that gilded escalator. You would think Biden's handlers would have learned a lesson, but apparently given a choice between voters and their army of globalist lobbyists and activists, they know who butters their bread. Last week, a Harvard-Harris poll found that 35% of voters named immigration as their top concern, pipping inflation, which scored 32% as top concern, followed by economy and jobs at 25%. In case you're curious, next up was crime and drugs at 16 Deficit and national security, each at 14. Finally, corruption and the environment, which are, of course, connected, tied at 13. While inflation was still the top issue in terms of topics that impact voters personally, that is likely to change as millions of illegals flood into every town and city across America. The reason, of course, is the apparently open border, with so-called migrant encounters hitting about 200,000 per month on top of the many thousands who don't bother reporting to Border Patrol. Perhaps because they have criminal records, or they are on a terrorist watch list, or there is some other reason they don't want to be recorded. The same poll found that voters overwhelmingly think conditions are getting worse at the border. So that's 81% of Republicans, as you'd expect, but it's also 68% of independents who are fed up. In fact, a plurality of Democrats think the border is out of control. Meanwhile, across all parties, 68% of Americans think the federal government should make it harder to get into the U.S., including 85% of Republicans, 71% of Independents, and even Democrats are split 50-50. That is pretty overwhelming for a democracy, so one might imagine the Biden administration would change tack, listen to the voters, and close the gaping wound of a border. Of course not. They're currently instead pushing a deal that would essentially legalize the millions who already snuck in, along with billions more for the welcome wagon Biden has set up at the southern border. And in place of a wall, Biden is currently tearing down what barriers the state of Texas has managed to install. At least it is trying to. That is currently in the courts. So what's next? It takes a certain chutzpah to ignore 68% of voters in a democracy, including half the voters in your own party. One can only conclude these special interests in play on immigration are apparently so terrifying to Joe Biden's handlers that they outweigh voters. Who would those special interests be beyond the obvious woke crowd who enjoys crushing the middle class for sport and presumably hopes migrants become socialist voters? There's an enormous bipartisan lobby made up of big business, especially in agriculture, who would very much like cheap labor with the literally trillions of collateral damage shunted onto the voters, the healthcare costs, the schooling, the rest of the welfare industrial complex. In fact, the Wall Street Journal regularly praises immigration for holding down Americans' wages to fight inflation, saying the quiet part out loud. Short immigration is shaping up to be a top issue in the 2024 election along with the economy. In both cases, the dynamics are clear. Lobbyists and activists against an overwhelming consensus of voters. New data says tens of millions of Americans are doom-spending in the face of economic stress, essentially deciding to live for the moment and pray for a miracle. 
CNBC reported the study by Intuit, which defines doom spending as spending beyond one's means specifically to alleviate stress. What stress, you ask? The study found fully 96% of Americans are concerned about the current state of the economy. Presumably, the other 4% are riding with Biden. Over half of Americans say conditions have gotten worse in the past six months, while 56% are living paycheck to paycheck, meaning they have less than $2,000 in savings. In fact, according to the study, almost one in four Americans have literally zero savings at all. More concerning, the study found that fully 27% of Americans, roughly 35 million households or 90 million souls, are doom spending, meaning they are falling further and further behind. The main concerns, as you'd expect, are inflation and unaffordable housing, with nearly half of Americans saying they don't have enough money to afford the basics, so food, clothing, rent. The young are particularly concerned, with a quarter of Zoomers being unable to find decent-paying jobs, while over 70% of Zoomers and Millennials report financial anxiety. In fact, the young are reporting the highest rates of doom spending, with 35% of Zoomers and 43% of Millennials reporting spending beyond their means to cope. Meanwhile, the young are also reporting the highest increases in spending. In other words, they're essentially giving up on building something for the future. The study ventures that they're giving up because they're losing hope in the economy. Of those who are optimistic, just one in four think inflation will level out, while just one in eight think the job market will improve. I mentioned in recent videos how the young are giving up on buying a house or starting a family like their parents did, essentially resigning themselves to a life of instant ramen roommates and Netflix binges at 40. Indeed, the Intuit study found a quarter of Zoomers and millennials are moving back in with their parents with young adults most likely to move back. In other words, they tried the real world for a few years after college, and now they are giving up. It's worth mentioning that 25 to 29 used to be the prime age for starting a family. Now it is the prime age for giving up and doom-buying a cruise to the Bahamas instead. The problem's actually been simmering for years, really since 2000, when our economy tipped over into a Federal Reserve-dominated economy with high spending and slow growth. To illustrate what happened on the ground, Moody's says rent since 1999 rose 135%, while incomes for all age groups rose just 77%, so half as much. The median house, meanwhile, is 274% what it was in 1999, according to the Census Bureau. So incomes didn't even begin to keep up despite soaring numbers of people working multiple jobs, 8.4 million according to the latest numbers. So what's next? The clown show that is Bidenomics is a mere intensification of 25 years plus, gutting our productive capacity in the economy, with the young being the tip of the spear in economic fallout. In theory, they'll connect the dots and begin voting for smaller government, less regulation, and more entrepreneurship. In practice, though, it could take a lot more pain before they connect those dots. I'm a big fan of saving Bitcoin for the long term, and the Unchained Bitcoin IRA is a great way to do that. You get the tax advantages, and if it's a Roth IRA, you're not going to pay capital gains so long as you hodl. Most Bitcoin IRAs make you give up control, which can expose you to exchange hacks or even relend it out like banks do. With Unchained, you control the keys to your Bitcoin, which means you always know it's there. They also provide one-on-one -on -one concierge service to walk you through it and answer any questions. Why pay more taxes than you need to? Set it up today at Unchained.com. Use promo code PETER to get $100 off a Bitcoin IRA. The sociopaths in Congress are currently trying to sneak in a bill 
that combines welfare benefits for illegals crossing the border with crony corporate tax cuts to sweeten the deal. Republicans are trying to slip this Trojan horse past their voters by calling it tax relief, in case you thought there was actually a good party in Washington. My colleagues Richard Stern and Preston Brashers have been on the top of this little gem that would cost us $155 billion per year if it passes. So what is the bill and what does it do? Called the Tax Relief for American Families and Workers Act, it's very Orwellian, the bipartisan bill, meaning the uniparty bill, gives millions of illegal immigrants welfare benefits. Of course, also for the millions more who are currently on their way. You would think such a bill would have zero chance of passing Congress that Republicans would stop it. And enter the lobbyists, because the rest of the bill is a laundry list of lobbyist-approved tax breaks like retroactive depreciation and a nudge in Section 163 business amortization. I know, gripping stuff, but it pays the bills. It's even got a bizarre break slashing royalties tax on residents of Taiwan from 30% to 10% in case you wonder why lobbyists make the big bucks. So welcome to America's new ruling coalition illegal immigrants, and corporate lobbyists. Two parties united. Of course, the bill authors are aware that Washington is currently running a $2.7 trillion deficit that will bankrupt our country, with Congress's own bean counters projecting $145 trillion, with a T, of national debt by 2053. So to cover the fact that this bill is adding to that to the tune of potentially trillions, they resort to Washington-level accounting fraud. Namely, they cancel a failed COVID-era employee retention credit that has paid out $230 billion, much of it fraudulent. Instead of simply winding down the program and admitting that they effed up, they label the long-overdue wind-down as $78 billion in savings and hand that to illegals and lobbyists. It's worth noting that those $78 billion in savings are more than that program was supposed to cost in the first place, so they promised a handout, they actually handed out $200 billion more than promised, and then they stopped handing it out and called that an extra $78 billion left over for their clients. Welcome to Washington. So what's next? We actually stand a good chance of killing this particular bill after a bunch of us on Twitter and at Heritage raised the alarm, but they will be back because the uniparty ripoff is in full blossom even as the people reject both parties at historic rates. One party goes insane, throwing voters to the other party, who takes their vote and rips them off. Has it end with anti-establishment candidates who gut the cronies running both major parties? We're currently going into primary season, and this is your chance to give your donations, your volunteer time, and your vote to those anti-establishment candidates of either party who actually want to serve the people. After all, these criminals were voted in by the people in the first place. However gaslit they were, we have the power to vote them out. French farmers are dumping tons of cow poop on government buildings, German tractors are blocking cities, and Belgian farmers are bringing Brussels, the European swamp, to a crawl. Are the Canadian truckers going global? For the past year and a half, Europe has been seized by what's been called a peasant war, setting the global warming elite against the farmers who feed the country on which the global warming elite feeds. It kicked off in earnest with the Dutch farmer revolt early last year, which culminated in a big electoral upset, with the pro-farmer, right-populist Party of Freedom winning the largest number of seats in Parliament. The party has been so far shut out of power since Holland is run by a center-left uniparty, much like America, but it shook up the elite, who is starting to think they will lose. So I mentioned in a recent video the near panic at Davos, 
at the increasing prospect of Donald Trump and his European equivalents actually gaining power. The past few months, the protests have now spread to France, Germany, Italy, Poland, and Belgium. The European media has largely embargoed the protests, trying to downplay them, but the farmers are not shutting up. In Germany, they're blocking freeways, and in France, the government had to dispatch armored vehicles to try and prevent farmers blockading the main food market for the city of Paris. What's driving the anger is environmentalist mandates that are impoverishing farmers and driving them to bankruptcy, along with inflationary fuel and energy prices, again exacerbated by EU policy that shot at Vladimir Putin, but ended up hitting farmers square in the chest. So what's next? As in America, Europe's elite look at blue-collar workers, so farmers, truckers, manufacturing, with utter disdain. And so their first reaction is to dismiss or even punish the protesters, as they did in Canada. But apparently, the European farmers have overwhelming public support. One recent poll in France said 89% of voters agree with the farmers. So they've had to take them seriously, since that is pretty much everybody. France just appointed a new prime minister who said he would put agriculture above all else and offered some token gestures like scrapping a new diesel tax. But the farmers want a lot more, specifically to scrap the so-called farm-to-fork strategy of imposing climate change and biodiversity mandates across their supply chain, which of course puts them out of business since their food has to compete with countries that are not ruled by global warming fanatics. So how does it end? If I had to guess, Europe's elites will try to buy off the farmers using taxpayer money, as is done in America, moving us towards a society where the policies may be suicidal, but anybody with an 89% approval rating is bribed out of the headlines. Of course, at some point, you run out of taxpayer money. The EU is already running a $600 billion deficit. That's small potatoes compared to loot the Treasury Washington, but then Europe is closer to the edge already, especially in Germany, given a recent court decision that is forcing them to cut spending dramatically. Either way, how Europe responds to its latest peasant war will tell us how far along Europe is to Washington's endgame of spend and destroy. This podcast is supported by our sponsor, MoneyMetals.com, the most trusted bullion dealer and depository in the United States. Known for their competitive pricing, excellent customer service, and fast delivery of physical gold and silver, as well as their educational content and advocacy for sound money policies at the state and federal level. They have set the industry standard for selling, buying, and storing precious metals. If you're looking to help protect yourself against inflation and market turmoil, I hope you'll give them a try. To learn more or to buy your physical gold and silver, go to MoneyMetals.com. Will there be deflation, or will Grandma keep getting sucker-punched by Jerome Powell at the supermarket checkout forever? Last week, I joined Kevin Poffroth, Meet Kevin on YouTube, for a wide-ranging interview about the economy and freedom. During our chat, he asked about the ongoing beef between George Gammon and Kathy Wood about whether massive deflation is on the horizon. And the short answer is no, we will never again see durable deflation, not until either the dollar dies or the Fed dies, whichever comes first. Now, if you don't know George and Kathy, he makes videos on YouTube about finance, and she is the CEO of ARK Invest, which focuses on disruptive high-tech plays like AI, robots, biotech, and Tesla. A couple months ago, Kathy gave a talk saying that investors were worried about the wrong thing, that we should actually be preparing for massive deflation. Her reasoning is that technology is inherently deflationary, and we are about to have the mother of all tech booms. So is she right? Are we about to see plunging prices thanks to AI? And the short answer is no, not because her reasoning is off. She's actually right that tech is deflationary. It lowers prices. 
but the missing part is the central bank, the Federal Reserve. To lay out the process, let's say you make handmade mugs, say you make 10 a day, and you sell them for 20 bucks to make ends meet. Now, you install a machine, and you can make 100 a day. Pay for the machine, and you could charge, say, $10 each and still turn a profit. Presto, a dollar buys more mugs. If you do that across the entire economy, you get generalized deflation. Dollars buy more. Deed before central banking, that was the normal state of a healthy economy. So technology advanced, capital or machines was installed, and we got more stuff for the dollar. The problem, of course, is that central banks were founded specifically to soak up all of that deflationary goodness. In fact, they steal it and then some, turning the deflation into dreaded inflation. Now, there is a special type of deflation, which is bad, which is when the dollar is getting stronger, not because we're making more stuff, but because a bunch of dollars suddenly vanished. Namely, they got pulled out of circulation and they're being stored somewhere. Why would that happen? Maybe because there's World War III and everybody panicked, or more often, because the Fed crashed the banking system, a bunch of debt evaporated, it defaulted and got written off, and now everybody is scrambling to save the dollars they still have to plug their balance sheet. So they're not spending the dollars, they're storing them, may as well have buried them in the ground in terms of inflation. So that's exactly what happened in 2008, it's what happened in 1929, it's what happens in every financial panic. In fact, that special case is precisely the excuse the Fed uses to steal the normal good deflation, which is pretty cute when you think about it. So they use the special bank panic that they themselves cause to steal tens of trillions of healthy deflation, but there it is. So what's next? In short, there is zero chance we'll have durable deflation. The Fed will soak it up and then some. In fact, China is doing this as we speak, printing hand over fist to soak up its overcapacity-driven manufacturing deflation. That means whatever deflation windfall one might expect from AI, robots, nanoassembly, or even cold fusion will end up, like so much else, in the pockets of Congress. We will never again see durable deflation. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe to get next week's episode fresh in your inbox and go to petersanonge.com to read the weekly articles with charts and all the gory details. Okay, we'll be watching. See you next time.